Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Scott Pruitt is out of a job. Good. Hey, great, actually. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Friday, July 6th. Here we go. The Bill Press Show. So good to see you today. It is a one hell of a news day. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, with so much going on, uh, Scott Pruitt is gone. We are in a trade war. It's official. Starting today, trade war with China. And who knows how many other countries will be joining in as well. Uh, and Donald Trump acts absolutely going off the rails last night at a big uh, rally out in Montana. He really thinks he's helping Republican candidates by going out and acting like such a goofball at the podium. It is embarrassing. He ought to stay, what the hell, stay in Bedminster, New Jersey. Keep playing golf. He would do less damage to the country and to those Republican candidates he's trying to help. So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show. Ending up a very, very busy week. And the president takes off next week. To um, drop a few hand grenades into the uh, NATO summit in Europe and then go on to London, on to Scotland, where he will be, of course, reviled and scorned and ridiculed and uh, just bring more embarrassment to the rest of us Americans. But we'll bring you up to date on all the news of the day with your help, because we want to hear from you. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Great lineup of guests today and lots to talk about. So we will jump right into it. But first, this is the Full Court Press. You got it. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, so Mike Pompeo is in North Korea. He just landed not that long ago. Yeah. And we have now learned that he is bearing a gift. He is bringing a gift from Donald Trump to Kim Jong-un. He is bringing... A MAGA hat. No, it's not a MAGA hat. He is bringing him a CD. 
an Elton John CD. An Elton John CD that has the song Rocket Man on oh, it. God. I am not kidding. I am not oh, kidding. This is according God. to a South Korean newspaper. It says the CD uh, is coming from Mike Pompeo to be given to Kim Jong-un from Donald Trump. Apparently, they discussed this when they met mm-hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago. Trump uh, you know, has obviously referred to him as Little Rocket Man over and over again. Trump asked him, do you know the song Rocket Man? <laughs> and Kim Jong-un said no. So Trump is sending him a copy of Honky Chateau. That is the name of Elton John's album that has the song Rocket Man on it. Yeah. Okay. Again, what are we getting from Kim Jong-un in return? Are we getting any agreement to tear down their nuclear weapons, destroy their nuclear weapons, not build any more? We have seen nothing at all coming back the other way. Yeah. No. But, you know, he gets a cool CD out of it, You give him the whole of Elton John collection. <laughs> it still won't make a difference. At some point, we've got to get something out of North Korea here. Yeah. A new study by AAA found that there were 390,000 injuries and 3,500 deaths last year due to distracted driving. And they point out that this infotainment system that a lot of cars have, like the, the touchscreen stuff oh, inside oh, of yeah. a lot of cars. Yeah. Do you have one of those? Yes. You know they got a new car not that yes. long ago. You've yes. got one of those. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have one in mine as well. They're saying that that is actually... I don't use it that much, but... Not good. It's not good for, like for driving. There are other alternatives like Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, these makers that have the, uh, the, the mobile device makers that, that sync with your car automatically. Those actually cut down on mm-hmm. uh, distracted mm-hmm. driving because you're found to be five seconds faster on average than using the infotainment system that comes with your car. So if you're able to use an Apple CarPlay or Android Auto or any of these things that are made by the smartphone makers, you've got a better chance of uh, of not being so distracted. Or the little thing on your uh, steering wheel that you can push. That, that too. Yeah. That too. Yeah. And just say, go to station, whatever, go to station, whatever. That helps. This is the Bill Press Show. It's official. It's official. Now we are in a trade war with China. And there's nobody, nobody who thinks we can win this trade war except Donald Trump, who used to call himself a free trader, but is no longer. What do you say, folks? Happy Friday. It is Friday, July 6th. Great to see you today. And we thank you for joining us here. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Here we are with our eye on what's going on down at uh, Capitol Hill, just down the street from us, but mm, pretty quiet there. Congress out of town, of course, finishing up their July 4th uh, recess uh, and also keeping our eye on what's going on down at the White House. Uh, President Trump leaving the White House yesterday afternoon, flying out to Montana, where he gave a an unbelievably bizarre uh, appearance or performance in front of a crowd of uh, yahoos out in Montana, uh, where he totally went off the rails. We will play you lots of audio from that. You can decide for yourself if this is a man you think should be in any way president of the United States. 
Uh, now the president up to Bedminster, New Jersey for a weekend of golf, of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, one more round of golf from the guy who, remember, uh, criticized Barack Obama endlessly for playing golf at all. He will, at the current rate, he will probably play four times as many rounds of golf as Barack Obama did. Barack Obama did. Uh, I, I, I hope president. there's... I hope the Democrats learn a lesson, you know, when Democrats win the White House back, whoever the president is, yeah. if there's any sort of dumb criticism about stupid things like playing golf, they just look at the yeah. the other side and just give them the middle finger. Just say, screw you. Yeah. What, what are yeah. you talking about? I know. Just absolutely. So we got so much to talk about. By the way, great lineup of yesterday. Uh, Alice Olstein uh, from, uh, is that Olstein? Olstein, Peter? We'll find out. We'll find out. Yeah. From Talking Points Memo will be joining us uh, as our first guest today, Niall Standage, our good friend from The Hill, will be here as a friend of Bill for our second hour together today, and Anisha Singh from Center for American Progress joins us as we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We remind you again about the podcast. Oh, my God, podcast is really, really, it's very exciting. It's growing so fast. So we want to make sure that you check out the podcast by just going to BillPressShow.com anytime during the day, and you can listen to uh, parts of the show you might have missed or the entire show uh, if you want to re-listen. And, um, and on the weekends, too, special stuff on the podcast that you don't get uh, during the week. So go to the podcast, but be sure to sign up on the podcast. You know, we have a lot of people who can't necessarily listen to the whole show, and that's fine. You know, yeah. if you catch the second hour, you can only listen to the first hour before you go to work. Yeah. It's a good reminder that, like, we put the whole thing up. We put the whole show. And, in fact, if you're listening on uh, one of our radio stations, you don't necessarily hear the whole show, the little five minutes that yeah. we do before yeah. we get going. Right. That's only really on the podcast if you want to listen to it. So just right. go find it. it. It does indeed. Hey, you know, sort of related, I just haven't mentioned this in a while, but um, uh, I, I hear from people say, you know, I say, hey, is your book still available? Is your book still in print? Uh, absolutely. And, by the way, good summer read from the left. A Life in the Crossfire, my latest book. Uh, if you want to find out more about it, check it our website at thebillpressshow.com, right on the front page. We're also joining you, of course, on Free Speech TV and on the radio, the great WCPT out in Chicago and statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks. I want to start out today with a, uh, a word of... Uh, a word in memory of our great friend uh, Ed Schultz, whom we lost uh, yesterday. Um, a great broadcaster, a powerful, powerful progressive voice on uh, talk radio, of course, for years and years, and on MSNBC. Um, a colleague of ours, we all knew him well. He was a great friend, often guest, a frequent guest on our show, and I was a frequent guest on his show, both on the radio uh, and on television. Uh, Ed was a real force uh, and a very, very strong voice. Kind of went, you know, to the dark side toward the end when he went on, on, on uh, to work on Russian TV. But we remember him as such a powerful voice, the king, absolute king of progressive talk radio for years. Um, more stations, stronger presence, stronger voice than anybody else. And the, the most progressive and I thought the best uh, uh, talk, uh, TV host on MSNBC for the few years that uh, that he was there, we lost Ed yesterday, at the age of 64, uh, died here at his home in Washington D.C. But he's a great broadcaster, good friend, and that voice will certainly be missed. I uh, 
emailed back and forth yesterday with uh, our friend Peter, former uh, Ed's former producer, James Holm. Holmey. Holmey, uh, as Ed called him, who came t- to New York and Washington with Ed from Fargo, where he started out, where Ed started out. Ed started out as a conservative yeah. radio host in Fargo, met Wendy, who was a social worker, and Wendy basically smacked him alongside the head, and Ed got religion <laughs> and became uh, gradually moved farther and farther left, uh, and became again the head, of, the king of progressive talk radio uh, nationwide. Uh, Homie came with him um, back back to the East Coast. Uh, still now he's Joy Reed, yeah, producer at Reed MSNBC. Now. Yeah, and uh, I just reached out to him, and he he I thought he summed it up best. He said, "Ed was a lot." <laughs> Uh, a lot of fun, a lot of stress, a lot of bombast, a lot of heart. Everything about it was a lot. Ed right? was a lot. He was a Ed lot. Ed was right? a he lot. He was a real big presence, a real force, real, real force of nature. You know, uh, it, it made a big difference. And one of the earliest supporters, uh, as was I, of course, of uh, Bernie Sanders, by the way. Yeah. You know, it's interesting in this age now of Donald Trump and, and you, you hear all these people talk about rural voters and and oh, how yeah. important they are. And it's a good reminder, uh, uh, you know, what Ed did for so many, like, heartland Democrats. Totally, right? totally. He Truly. That, that's who he is. I yeah. mean, you know, from, and I remember he used to say, you know, our show is we're here for the people to take a shower when they get home from work. Yeah. Not when before they go to work. That's right. right. You know? That's I, right. I thought that sort of summed up the blue collar uh, voters that Bernie Sanders was reaching out to and listeners that Ed Schultz identified with. Yeah. Because he was of them. Yeah. One of them. Came out. Came from them. Yeah. I like that quote. He was a lot. Yeah. He was a lot. If you were ever in a room with Ed Schultz, man, you knew it. <laughs> sort of summed it up. Yes. Uh, so sad note there, but um, but uh, it, was, it was great to know Ed and to spend so much time with him and, and with Wendy. And our hearts uh, go out to them for sure. To his family. Hey, a big family. 15 grandkids. Uh... And kids and, and stepchildren and stepdaughters. Stepdaughters, a big, big family. And he was a big family man. Loved his family. Spent a lot of time with him. He had a fishing camp up in Canada, too, which, damn it, I never got to. He always wanted me to get up there. Uh, boy, but back on the news front of the day, the big news, boy, did it hit. Uh, not really totally unexpected, although we just didn't see it coming. Scott Pruitt, Wednesday night. I know because a friend of mine texted me from the South Lawn of the White House and said, you'll never guess who's here. Scott Pruitt. There he was partying with the president Wednesday night. Yesterday, he handed in his resignation, or shall we say Scott Pruitt was finally forced out of the White House. And uh, sources tell us that uh, it got to the point where Donald Trump just couldn't stand any more Bad stories about Scott Pruitt, that cascade of scandals surrounding Scott Pruitt, not for what it should have been about, the wreckage that he did to the environment, but scandals about Scott Pruitt using his office, abusing his office to enrich himself and live the lifestyle, the life of Riley for himself and for his family. Um, but at any rate, it got to the point, and what it, it seems that the straw that broke the camel's back was a story that just came out last week where Scott Pruitt was urging Donald Trump to fire Jeff Sessions and make him attorney general. Uh, and actually, Trump had talked about that privately 
but apparently uh, Pruitt leaked it to somebody. It got out in the Washington Post, and Trump finally says, that's enough. I can't do it. I can't take it anymore. Let's just uh, get, get, get rid of, of this guy. Um, and again, he's gone, but boy, it'll take us decades to recover from the damage that Scott Pruitt did. I mean, he was the architect of getting us, the United States, out of the Paris uh, climate change accords. I was in the Rose Garden when Donald Trump announced that he was pulling out of the Paris Accords, and uh, I've never seen this before. Donald Trump actually turned the podium over to Scott Pruitt and and let Scott Pruitt be part of that announcement to show uh, what an important role he played. Um, we know this is the guy uh, who never should have had the job at EPA as uh, Attorney General of Oklahoma before getting that job. He had sued EPA 14 or 15 times. His, his mission going to EPA was to destroy and to shut down EPA and to reverse every environmental regulation adopted under President Obama. And frankly, he succeeded, he succeeded in doing so. Um, all the new restrictions on uh, new coal-fired power plants under, uh, adopted under Barack Obama, gone. Gutting the Clean Air Act, gutting the Clean Water Act, uh, meeting in his office with oil industry, coal industry uh, lobbyists, uh, and never with uh, environmental, or, or seldom, certainly with, if, if ever, with representatives of environmental organizations. You might have uh, tuned in earlier in the week. We had the president of the employees, the president of the union that represents the employees here in Washington at national headquarters of the EPA, Nate James from the AFGE, and he stunned all of us here when he told us, again, the president of the employees who work at EPA, he had never even seen Scott Pruitt, let alone met with him, which it's tells so funny. you how, how much Scott Pruitt was interested in the work of the EPA. Yeah. He was just interested in destroying the EPA. It's, it's so funny. When Nate James was here and he, and he said that, we, we all of us all just of, sort of yeah. gasped, like, what, what are we talking about? Yeah, yeah. Could not believe it. Still, but that goes to show just where his priorities lie. Right. Uh, and then, of course, on top of all the environmental damage that he did, and again, it'll take us decades to recover, um, Scott Pruitt, uh, using his office for this whole this whole thing, that some of them are so silly, but building this $43,000 soundproof telephone booth in his office so he can make private calls to who knows whom, to more lobbyists, getting this $50 a night room here on Capitol Hill from who else? an oil industry lobbyist, sending him his, per, his employees out to pick up his laundry, searching all over Washington for the body lotion that he particularly liked, which apparently is sold only at the Ritz-Carlton, trying to get employees, using employees to try to get his wife a job, uh, and, and successfully, by the way, a $200,000 job, uh, calling on the president, head of Chick-fil-A, to give his wife a franchise for a Chick-fil-A uh, outlet. Um, I, the latest I saw was getting an employee to arrange a private dinner with him with a cardinal of the Catholic Church who was just bounced out of the church for covering up sexual abuses. And after that happened, after he's defrocked, basically, 
Scott Pruitt wants to have dinner with a guy. This goes on and on, all this kind of stuff. I tell you what, unrelated stuff. And finally, just even even Donald Trump said this is too much. I tell you what, man. If there is anything not nailed down at the EPA, you better watch out because he's going to take it with him on his way out the door. Uh, uh, By the way, uh, that that reminds me. And I mean anything, even the smallest things. He's going to take it with him. He's going to just. You better check his pockets when he walks Uh, out that door. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the uh, New York Times uh, editorial today, Pruitt is gone. Count the silver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. yeah. That's Mr. about Mr. Right. Pruitt departs. Count the silver. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. <laughs> and there are some, still, some 12 ongoing investigations, ethics investigations, about Scott Pruitt and things that he's done. Ongoing investigations. Uh, and he only stayed so long because Donald Trump actually liked what he was doing at the EPA and liked him personally. And, in fact, Donald Trump yesterday on Air Force One with reporters uh, after he uh, after announcing uh, the White House had announced that Pruitt had resigned, uh, Donald Trump still went out of his way to praise him and said he's going to do great things in the future. He's got a great career ahead of him. And, of course, according to Donald Trump, he did a great Great job at uh, at EPA. Uh, so here here's that. That's kind of the good news. The bad news is uh, that there's a guy who's just as bad who will now take his place. A guy named Andrew Wheeler, who is Scott Pruitt's deputy. All you need to know about Andy Wheeler is that, like Scott Pruitt. Now remember, Pruitt comes from Oklahoma. Who's the senator from Oklahoma? James Inhofe. The number one climate denier in the world, and Inhofe and Scott Pruitt. Pruitt is there because Inhofe recommended him to Donald Trump. Andy Wheeler, guess who he worked for on Capitol Hill? James Inhofe. So you got one Damn Inhofe it. clone to another Inhofe clone taking over. Andy Wheeler is every bit as anti environmental, anti EPA as Scott Pruitt was. The only difference is he's a little smarter. The only difference is you will not be reading about ethical scandals, about Andy Wheeler. He's a Washington insider. He knows how to play the game. He could be more deadly than Scott Pruitt. So watch out. Fred Krupp, who is the head of the Environmental Defense Agency, yesterday uh, gave this warning about Scott, I mean, uh, Andy Wheeler. We expect Andy Wheeler to do the same thing as Pruitt was, just out of the limelight. The fact of the matter is Andy Wheeler has had a career as a lobbyist for uh, the coal industry. Uh, yes, he actually, Andy Wheeler, uh, before he went to EPA, uh, worked for Murray Energy, which is that big coal company uh, headed by Robert Murray, who is close to Donald Trump. Uh, this is the guy who gave Donald Trump a list of like 15 things to help the coal industry, uh, all of which Donald Trump, with the help of Scott Pruitt, has done uh, already. So that's who we have now at the head of EPA. What's interesting, too, two two other things about this quickly, uh, Scott Pruitt's resignation. One is, uh, and I hope hope people pay attention to this, he's hardly the first one to leave the Trump administration. I mean, it is, we've never seen a a flight of top people from any administration so fast in modern times. I mean, just think about it. In, in, and we just made this list this morning. 
Uh, again, he's hardly the first one to leave or cabinet member to leave or top White House aide to leave. In 18 months, we counted up 16, 16 top, top, top people. And usually, you know how it works. The administration gets going, and maybe when they end the first four years, uh, there's a few people, a few changes, and otherwise, otherwise people stay there for four, six, eight years. Here are the ones who have left Donald Trump by our count. You might add to it. Of course, starts with Michael Flynn, but then we've got, okay, Scott Pruitt, now the latest, David Shulkin, Veterans Affairs, H.R. McMaster, National Security Advisor, and before that, DHS Secretary, Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State, John McAtee, Personal Assistant to the President, Gary Cohn, Chief Economic Advisor, Rob Porter, Staff Secretary, Omarosa, Director of Communications, Office of Public Liaison, Dina Powell, who is Deputy National Security Advisor, Tom Price at HHS, maybe the second to go, right after Michael Flynn, Sebastian Gorka, Deputy Assistant to the President, Steve Bannon, Steve Strategist, Chief Strategist, Reince Priebus, of course, Chief of Staff, Sean Spicer, Press Secretary, we mentioned Mike Flynn, and Mooch, Anthony Scaramucci. That's at least 16 top people who have left this administration. That's one thing that says that, uh, that's one thing that uh, the Scott Pruitt's departure reminds us of. And the other thing is, I think that's worth noting is, you can, this proves that you can get to Donald Trump. You know, he's always talking about the fake media. He's always attacking the fake media. But why did he finally, he loves the work that Scott Pruitt is doing at EPA. Why did he finally push Scott Pruitt out? Because he was getting too much bad press. Because he didn't like the negative stories. So, so no matter what Donald Trump says about the media not paying any attention to it, this proves, this proves that you can get to Donald Trump. You can influence him. You can get him to reverse his course and to change his mind. Speaking of the media, we have a new communications director at the White House. He is it's Bill official. Shine. It is official. Bill Shine, the former president of Fox News, working right under Roger Ailes, is now uh, the communications director of the White House. How perfect is this, folks? This is it. As I uh, said yesterday on some other show, uh, this is the final, uh, make it official, it's, it's finally the official marriage between the White House and Fox News. We know they've been close. We know they've been shacking up for the last 18 months. Now Fox News has finally moved in with Donald Trump. So it's the perfect marriage. Uh, it's not just Donald Trump now watching Fox News. The White House is Fox News. Uh, Bill, Bill, Bill Shine. And there's another thing. This is also a perfect fit for an, another reason. Because uh, Bill Shine was forced out of Fox News because they discovered that it was Bill Shine who was actually the fixer or the enabler for the sexual shenanigans and sexual abuse of Roger Ailes and of Bill O'Reilly. He knew what was going on with both of them. He knew about the lawsuits of Bill O'Reilly. He covered them up. He kept them on. He kept them on. He protected them. Uh, he enabled them. And so you've got the man who's 
his specialty is, if you will, covering up sexual abuse on the part of the people he works for, his bosses. He did it for Roger Ailes. He did it for Bill O'Reilly. And now he's there at the White House to do it for Donald Trump. The perfect fit for Donald Trump. Uh, My question is, why the hell would he take this job? Because he's the, 18 months again, 18 months, he is the sixth communication director for Donald Trump. This is an impossible job. Because, and we know why. Because Donald Trump is his own communication director, insists on being his own communication director, will continue to be his own communications director, will pay attention to why he'll, he will say whatever the hell he wants, uh, and Bill, Bill Shine will just have to go along with it. Uh, so from a guy who used to, was used to being in charge and making decisions, uh, he's going, just going to be following uh Follow Donald Trump's lead you from know, we, now on. We've seen so many people who have been really, it's really, right. really good at what they do. And they and they get connected with Donald Trump. And they, and get, <laughs> they go to the White House. Look at Rex Tillerson. Yeah. Yeah. Look at I any mean, I mean, look at any of I them. I mean, yeah, and not one of my favorite people, but as a CEO of Exxon. Yeah. He was doing a good job. I mean, you have to He leaves the White House yeah. looking like a, just a total bungler. Right? Yeah. I'm very, very excited to see how Donald Trump makes Bill Shine look. It's not going to be good. And how long it'll last. It's not going to be good. Well, figure out six in 18 months? Yeah, maybe three months. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So (laughs) here here he is now. You're Bill Shine. You're the new communications director, and you get on Air Force One, as he did yesterday, and you go out to Montana. And here's your boss now, standing up in front of the crowd, and just absolutely riffing and, and making no sense at all. I want to play you a few clips here in a row. I just want you to listen to these in a row. I'll call them out, and we'll listen to the, to, to the president of the United States. Let's start out where he talks about the NF. This is a political rally to help whoever is running against John Tester. I don't know that person's name. They're going to lose anyway. John Tester is a great candidate. Here's Donald Trump. Let's start. So first he starts about the NFL. They pass this stupid thing. You don't have to do this anymore. If you don't respect the flag or if you don't like the country or whatever it is, just go into the locker room. Just go into the locker room. I think in many respects, that's worse. Uh, and he can't resist, of course, personal attacks. Uh, okay. Elizabeth Warren loves to attack her. Yeah. Pocahontas, I apologize to you. I apologize. To you, I apologize. To the, to the fake Pocahontas, I won't about Mm-hmm, yeah. Well, we have uh, attack, um, insult Elizabeth Warren. Why not? Here's another favorite, Maxine Waters. I said it the other day, yes, she is a low IQ individual, Maxine Waters. I said it the other day. Hi. I mean, honestly, she's somewhere in the mid-60s, I believe. That. Yeah. Remember the whole thing he got into the IQ test with Rex Tillerson, too? I mean, you know, he's got... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just, oh. Uh, um, and he talked about other stuff. How about that Mueller, the Mueller uh, investigation? Uh, is there anything to this whole Russian investigation? This was an excuse for the Democrats who lost an election, who actually got their ass kicked, 306. Oh, yeah, he always has to talk about how many uh, 
how many uh, electoral votes he got. He usually says he got more than any president since Ronald Reagan, which, of course, is not true. But he still says it. And then, uh, okay, you know, all politicians do this, that, you know, what's important is to get out and vote, okay? But, of course, Donald Trump has to say it in his own way about getting out to vote. This November, I need you to get your friends, get your colleagues, get your neighbors, and get your ass out to vote. Is that okay? Get your ass out to vote. Yeah. President of the United States. President of the United States, get your ass out to vote. God damn it. Get off your lazy ass and yeah. go vote. Uh, and then, okay, now listen to this one. This is takes the cake, okay? All right, now he's got to wrap up. What is he obsessed with? Penis size, okay? <laughs> I mean, he's got a real problem, right? But for him, penis size is crowd size. And he, everywhere he goes, he talks about the crowd, starting with, of course, the first day of his presidency. And he's got it into the crowd, proving how big he is last night again. Bigger than Elton John, baby. I have broken more Elton John records. He seems to have a lot of records. And we beat, and I, by the way, I don't have a musical instrument. I don't have a guitar or an organ. <laughs> no organ. Elton has an organ. <laughs> and lots of other people helping. Mm -hmm. No, we've broken a lot of records. We've broken virtually every record. Because, you know, look, I only need this space. They need much more room. For basketball, for hockey, for all the sports, they need a lot of room. We don't need it. We have people in that space. So we break all these records. But really, we do it without, like, the musical instruments. This is the only musical, the mouth. It's, and hopefully the brain attached to the mouth, right? The brain, more important than the mouth, is the brain. The brain is much more important. There you go. How can you listen to that? There you go. How can you listen to that and accept this man as the president of the United States of America? You cannot. You cannot do so. It is appalling. What a goofball, what an idiot, what a moron we've got in the White House. Uh, let's take a quick break with that. When we come back, ICE. Yeah, the president, he must have talked about that last night, too, uh, that uh, uh, he's on the rampage and saying he's going to keep ICE, and that's the only way we're going to keep American families safe. What's the latest with that? Uh, we'll find out coming back. A uh, quick break. We'll be right back here on the Bill Press Show. Stay with us. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say? Here we go. Friday. How about it? No, can't go into the weekend yet. we got a lot more to cover here uh, in the next hour and a half of the Bill Press Show on this Friday, July 6th. Great to have you with us. And among um, uh, uh, other issues that the president is uh, uh, very, very much in, uh, concerned about and talking about these days is the issue of uh, ICE uh, and uh, more and more criticism we hear from Democrats about the way ICE is conducting its business. Uh, Alice Olstein covers these issues as well as others, national politics in general, for Talking Points Memo at TalkingPointsMemo.com. Joining us in studio. Hi, Alice. Good to see you. Thank you. Good work on 4th of July uh, as a member of the White House Press Corps. I was reading your pool reports. Thank you. It was nice of you to work on the 4th of July so the rest of us didn't have to. Yeah. Someone has to watch the president. <laughs> did you enjoy uh, playing golf with the president? I did not get to play <laughs> golf with the president, uh, no, but uh, I got to inform the American people that that's what he was up to, which is 
the job of the press pool. Right. And then you were uh, on the South Lawn of the White House. I for, was. For I the... got to uh, watch Scott Pruitt have his last free meal in town. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't know. He might figure out uh, a way to get a few right. more free no, meals. That's true. That's true. He's not gone yet. <laughs> it, it was funny that the guy who was actually basically told not to come to the White House mess. Yes. Every day, because he was freeloading a lunch there every day, <laughs> still managed to get one last. A lot, dinner. a lot of cabinet secretaries were uh, were at the picnic, but uh, he definitely had the the reputation for uh, <laughs> finding his free meals. Oh yeah, no, he really did. Uh, well, we've been at it to, for uh, an hour here, generating a few comments. Be, we'll get. Uh, hear those before we move on. Yes, indeed. A couple of comments on Twitter where we are at BP Show, BP Show. A couple of people uh, weighing in to remember Ed Schultz, who mm. passed away. Uh, Tunes says, yes, he was a forceful and articulate voice for the middle class. Uh, also, somebody, Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody else weighing in mm. saying, well, you know, the Bill Press Show is a lot, too. Just like Ed was a lot. Oh, Bill, you're, <laughs> you're sort nice. of a lot Thank as you. well. That's nice. A couple of other comments. Big on, Eddie. Big Eddie. Yeah, and absolutely. In every way. Uh, a couple of other comments on other issues. Joey says, how do you win a trade war when you don't manufacture anything? The foreign <laughs> countries who manufacture things will be hurt. This president knows economics like he knows global warming. Yeah. I would love to see any of his diplomas from any school. Uh, answer is you don't win a trade war. You don't win a trade. They're not winnable. No. Uh, and Brent McDonald talking about Bill Shine going to the White House says, in future White House press conferences, why not just put the Fox logo above <laughs> or below the presidential seal? Maybe we'll see that soon. If you have a comment on any topic at any time, you can find us on Twitter at BP Show. That's, they have that, uh, Alice, have you noticed a new sign in the room? We report, you decide. <laughs> Pretty much. I haven't seen that yet, but uh, Bill Shine just started, so. <laughs> Pretty see. much. Uh, it is significant that Bill Shine would be the next communications director. Um, and we, he was in, in action for the first time yesterday with the president on Air Force One, where the president actually, um, as we know, some, not always, but usually uh, on an Air Force One trip, the press secretary will come back. Uh, I've been there, mm-hmm. and uh, he stands at the door to, with the with the reporter surrounding him, and does what we call a gaggle, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yesterday was unusual in that instead of the press secretary coming back and doing a gaggle, the press secretary, who was then Hogan Gridley, the deputy, was on duty, took the press pool up to the front of Air Force One mm-hmm. in the president's own office, and he held a gaggle for like uh, a half an hour, and Bill Shine was right there, right, right there with him. So, Those are often the most revealing because the president is, let's say, not as disciplined in, in what he in shares with the press. So sometimes you can get some very candid, revealing remarks. Uh, which we did yesterday. Uh, and um, but I guess uh, so the question I was going to ask is, what does it what does it say about Bill Shine, former head of Fox News, now being communications director in the Trump White House? I think it's just making what was under the surface now on the surface. I mean, we've been seeing reports for a long time that the president has been speaking with Fox News personalities, Sean Hannity, um, out, ousted Fox News <laughs> uh, executives as well, um, right. uh, reportedly talks to Robert Murdoch a great deal. Um, and so he's already getting advice and messaging from Fox World. Now it's just sort of official and on the surface. Yeah, I think you're right. And, cha- you know, channeling Fox and Friends, of course, and uh, 
Um, and, you know, he's close to Laura Ingram, close to Tucker Carlson, talks to him often, Sean Hannity, like two or three times a day, they say. Uh, Bill Shine used to be Sean Hannity's producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Hannity once said, after Roger Ailes left, that if Bill Shine goes, I'm going. Uh, of course, he didn't. Instead, he gets Bill Shine a job as communications director. So it sort of makes it uh, official, the official marriage between... Fox News and the Trump White House, right? Yes, definitely. There's no daylight between them at all now, if there ever was. <laughs> right. Although I, I will say there are individual Fox reporters that still do some some decent critical work, especially on Capitol Hill. Um, and that, yes, so the, the split between the sort of commentary side and the news side is often, you know, intention there. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, we keep coming back to Shepard Smith in the afternoon. Shep maintains his... Independence, I think, better than anybody else at Fox News. So uh, the president says on uh, there are more and more Democrats, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, um, Senator Dick Durbin, Kamala Harris, who have said we've got to uh, get rid of ICE and replace it with uh, an organization that uh, does its job, but does its job maybe in a more humane way. Uh, Donald Trump says anybody who disagrees with ICE... um, doesn't love this country, they want open borders, and they want MSN, MS-13 gangs to just run wild all over the, uh, all over the country. Um, what, where is this ICE issue going as you see it? Is it um, a political liability for Democrats, or do you think it's a good issue for them? So the rallying cry of abolish ICE is too new to have good polling um, yeah. on it so far. But I think what we've been seeing is that as on other issues like Obamacare, uh, the president often has what's been referred to as a reverse Midas touch, where the more he attacks and denigrates something, uh, actually the more popular it becomes, which we've seen with the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. So I think we are seeing some signs that that's also happening with immigration. There's been some recent polling showing that uh, more and more people increasingly, including Republicans, are answering polls saying that immigration is generally a good thing for the country, that it um, that legal immigration should be increased, which is the opposite of what uh, the president has been calling for and what the Republicans in Congress have been mm-hmm. pushing. Mm-hmm. And on on the reverse side, we've seen that the president's current immigration policies are extremely unpopular. There was just a new poll out on the family separations mm. issue. Mm-hmm. And the words people associated um, with that policy the most in this Quinnipiac poll from this week uh, are sad, terrible, horrible, wrong, and disgusted. <laughs> Those, mm. You know, this was an open-ended poll. You know, what is what does this make you think of? So that, right. that's a pretty in, overwhelming in, response. Right. In, in, in that same poll, 49% of Americans said the president was a racist, outright racist, right? No nuances, racist. And 44%, back to your point, Mm -hmm. that the driving force behind the president's immigration policies were his racist beliefs. He says it's national security, protecting America. Right. 44% of Americans say it's his racist beliefs. So this this could uh, boomerang, right? Could backfire. 
Sure. I think that um, that Republicans are very vulnerable on immigration. You have the president's very unpopular policies seen as, you know, very cruel and inhumane. You have Republicans in Congress who, despite having majorities in both chambers, can't pass an immigration bill. Any, any immigration any bill. Any immigration Not bill. Not a bad one. <laughs> and, you know, they can blame the Democrats. They can blame obstruction. They can blame the filibuster. But in the end of the day, they have the majority. They can't agree between themselves how to pass something because the Freedom Caucus wing and the moderates, they they don't agree. They don't have the same interests. And even, you know, the speaker's compromise bill, which was just a compromise between Republicans, uh, couldn't couldn't get nearly the votes to pass. I think the other failure and the other vulnerability for Republicans um, this this year in these elections is that Congress has the majority in Congress has done nothing to provide oversight and uh, accountability for what the government is doing on immigration. Right. Um, uh, and, and there's another, so there's this, it's such a complex issue, um, but one aspect of it, uh, a couple of aspects of it, mm -hmm. one is the, the dreamers. I mean, this right. is one thing I people, I think American people do understand. Yes. And they support the overwhelming majority. And here's Congress that has done nothing. Right. The program was doing fine until the president you know, uh, got rid of it. Got rid of it. Mm -hmm. um, blew it up. Uh, threw it to Congress, and now it's just sort of hanging in limbo. Uh, and that's an issue, I think, where people do understand that Congress and and don't like the fact that Congress has done nothing about it. Would sure. You agree? Yeah. And they sort of had their butts saved by the courts, by federal courts, um, that stopped the administration mm -hmm. from canceling people's DACA status. That's still in process. We could get competing rulings and another crisis on that later this summer. Um, it's still working its way through federal courts. I think on the family separations issue, again, you might see the president created a crisis, threw it to Congress to do something about it. They People were saying, oh, this is the motivation we need to finally pass immigration reform. And again, they're sort of getting bailed out by the courts. The crisis has not been solved. Courts have not solved it. They've ordered the families to be reunited. That has not happened yet. But again and again, we see that Congress, even with these sort of hostage-taking tactics, is still not motivated enough to pass something. Well, and that's the second issue I think that people do relate to, which is this separation of the families that yes. we've seen. Uh, again, here we go to ICE. Um, where is that? I mean, it, it, you hear that they're... They're doing all this DNA testing. Is that that the f the first time that was confirmed was yesterday on a conference call I was on with uh, the um, Department of Health and Human Services, which is the agency. So ICE yeah. has the parents, HHS has the kids. Oh, okay. And I was just going to ask you, how does yes. HHS get involved? So I see, ICE yes. has the parents. Yeah. HHS has the kids. Yes. Well, we, we you know we've talked about this a couple of times mm -hmm. about just how poorly put together this plan was, right, to yeah. try and unscrew this plan up mm -hmm. of reuniting kids with parents, they had no idea how they were going to do that. They were just concerned with the separation. They didn't think about actually reuniting anybody. And so they're having to, like, play catch up to figure this out. Yeah. Sure. And, I mean, it raises the question, why is DNA testing even necessary if you were tracking the families right. you were separating? <laughs> right. Um, and there's a lot of privacy concerns about the DNA testing. And on the call, a lot of our questions about that were not answered. Reporters were asking what happens to these DNA samples after they're used to find a family match. Are they destroyed? Are they shared with other agencies? The, on the call, they said, you know, 
these DNA uh, records won't be used for any other purpose besides this, besides reuniting families. But yeah. where's the guarantee? Where's the firewall? Where are the you know legal protections for that? Right. Trust us. Uh, that's what they're saying. Alex Azar, who's the new secretary of HHS, uh, actually defending this policy of separating the parents from their kids, uh, as he says, this is nothing new. I wouldn't get to stay with my children if I were in prison. Don't get to either. Well, so, again, <laughs> the, the issue with that, with that. They're in prison. Yes. They haven't committed a crime. Right. Uh, Im- Im- immigrate, an immigration violation is a civil violation, not a criminal violation. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. No, he's conflating the two, right? Yes. And again, and he's... Seeking he's, asylum, which is what a lot of these people are doing, is not a crime at all. It's not a crime at all. And So he's defending yes. the policy of ripping these kids from their families. I thought it was very interesting on the call. He sounded a lot like the president has been sounding on immigration. Well, he wouldn't have his job if he didn't. Um, but before this, he's been... Not like that. He's been oh. very oh. sort of professional behind the scenes, uh, you know, lower temperature than a lot of this administration. You know, he's he is a former H- high level HHS official. Um, you know, he's not an, as much an ideologue. And uh, I think we really saw this new side um, either of him or of the pressure he's under um, on this call. Again, you were hearing rhetoric from him that saying that, oh, well, if you don't like this policy, you must like open borders, talking about um, all of these parents as criminals for crossing the border in the first place, um, you know, comparing the family separations to uh, like the clip you played, um, parents mm-hmm. who go to prison. So I, I think, um, yes, we are seeing uh, various agencies double down on this policy. Uh, and the other thing, he did talk on the same call, I guess. I don't know whether this is from the call or... Mm-hmm. or uh, probably, but yeah, from the conference call yesterday about the DNA testing, um, particularly for the younger children. Here he is. DHS has relocated the parents and is relocating parents of children from age zero to four who have been identified as associated with them to facilities that are extremely close to the locations where their children are in ORR care. All right. So. Uh, they've, I guess, through the DNA, they've identified these people that they're really these are their kids, and they're relocating the parents to facilities close to these children, who right. are. Let me underscore again: zero to four. Right. We're talking babies and toddlers. Babies and toddlers. Yes. That they are are being sep- still kept separated from the parents. They may be now a mile apart. Instead of 3,000 miles right. apart, what difference does that make to a toddler? Well, it's to speed the reunification because the federal court in San Diego, their ruling said that all families had to be reunited within 30 days, but children younger than five had to be reunited within 14 days. So the deadline is sooner for the reunifications for the infants, and that's why they're moving them closer together so that they can reunite them Theoretically, more quickly, although, again, we have yet to see these reunifications actually happen. But what you can't calculate is the trauma, the damage done to these kids in the meantime. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And all kinds of medical experts have said that this trauma is going to last for their entire lives. This is not something that can be easily overcome. It's associated with all kinds of negative health outcomes, not who's, just mental health, physical health over time. Who's taking care of these kids and who's trained to take care of these kids? So they are in these facilities run by, uh, on the clip you heard him say ORR, that's the Office of Refugee Resettlement, which is part of HHS. And so they are used to taking kids who cross the border alone who were sent by their parents to probably join another relative in the United States. They're not used to taking care of kids who can't walk. Who were right? taken or, or, from or their parents by the talk. U.S. government. I mean, who yes. are toddlers, yes. infants. Right. And so they, they contract out this work to a lot of different facilities. Some of these facilities have uh, serious histories of abuse going back many, many years, predating the Trump administration. Um, there's been some very strong reporting, especially by the Texas Tribune, about that, about those cases. There's been allegations uh, in lawsuits that um, I'm tracking that uh, these kids have been given medication without their parents' consent. Uh mm powerful psychotropic medications to basically control their behavior um, because they are experiencing such trauma and acting out. I, yeah, uh, I would bet money that they're drugging these kids. That, that's what the lawsuit is, is alleging, yes. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, I mean, that's bleak. It's, it's extremely dark and upsetting to, to, read these, um, to read these lawsuit documents. Absolutely. Right. You know, little uh, kids and teenagers being held down and, and given, you know, injections or being given, you know, a, a slew of pills every day um, that yeah. make them fall asleep in class. I mean, they, they have to be given um, by law uh, exercise opportunities, education opportunities. and Oh, they have to let them out of their cage once a day? Is that it? I mean... Well, an another issue is that they've really restricted access to these facilities to um, both the news media and members of Congress um, who say, you know, we, we need more transparency, we need more accountability, we need to be able to check up on what's going on here. Um, and I thought it was very interesting that on the call yesterday, Azar also said that all of the um, uh members of Congress who've been attempting to see these facilities and visit these facilities and report back to their constituents, they're slowing down the reunification process because oh, they're oh, yeah. forcing uh, HHS to divert resources oh, yeah. that would be going to reuniting families to oh, facilitating right. these congressional God visits. God forbid we let the, any members of Congress see what's actually going on in these facilities, right? Dan Kildee from Michigan uh, one of these refugee centers is in Michigan. Yes. They're all over the country. Yes. A yeah. Congressman Dan Kildee, a frequent guest on the show, visited one of them yesterday, uh, his remarks after he left the facility. It was really heartbreaking to see very small children who should never have been taken from their parents. Yeah. I mean, there they are, you mm -hmm. know, and, uh, and all rounded up. Now, related, uh, the president doubled down yesterday again, saying that Everybody who comes across the border for any reason whatsoever, uh, this is a sort of the an extension. They said the zero tolerance policy doesn't exist anymore, and yet the president keeps talking about the fact that anybody who comes across the border should be considered a criminal and immediately deported. No due process. Uh, right. Well, that that obviously I mean, violates the, both U.S. The, laws and international laws. Yeah, I was just going to say. Yes. I mean, isn't there? This isn't pretty clear that 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 uh, uh, under the Constitution or whatever law that that's that's just blatantly illegal. Yes, and something that has been. Uh, 
a real sort of learning curve for a lot of people right now. Um, I mean, I, I keep getting feedback, you know, on Twitter saying, oh, there's no right to do process for undocumented people, which is not true. Um, it, the Constitution refers to persons, not citizens. So any person in the United States does have the right to do process. And obviously that protects citizens as well as non-citizens. If you... <laughs> can, you know, be snatched off the street and and deported without due process, that can happen to a citizen as well as to an undocumented person if you don't have a way to prove your status. Right. So those protections protect all of us. Uh, just un, un, unbelievable. So um, back to where well, we started with ICE. Sorry. We just have about a minute left. Sure. No, no, no. We just, just we covered <laughs> a lot of territory here. But um, I just want to make clear that with the, the what I hear from the Democratic criticism of ICE it is not necessarily abolish ICE. It's re what they're really saying, without using the phrase, is repeal and replace, aren't they? Right? I mean, they're saying, sure. yeah, we need a, sure. an enforcement arm yes. of the Border Patrol, but let's have one that doesn't act like stormtroopers. Right. And so ICE was only created after 9-11, and it sort of married the immigration enforcement with the anti-terrorism, anti-gang, anti-drug trafficking work. And there are a lot of people saying, both lawmakers and law enforcement themselves are saying those two things should not be combined. They should be separate. They are very yeah. separate. And you even saw a lot of agents from the wing of ICE that does the uh, anti-terrorism investigation saying, look, yeah. we would like to be split off because yeah, you're giving us a bad name. You're making our jobs harder because now ICE has this reputation and we need to build links with the immigrant community and have them trust us. All right. Alice uh, Alstein from Talking Points Memo, TalkingPointsMemo.com. Thank you. Bill Thank you. Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It's war. We are officially in a trade war with China. Starts today. Uh, hold on to your pocketbooks, folks. Here comes the recession. Great to see you today, Friday. Uh, yeah, big Friday, Friday, July 6th. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., winding up this 4th of July week. Congress has the whole week off. Not us. We're at it. Uh, and, boy, there is a lot going on and a lot to talk about. That's why it's good to have you with us. Uh, now, Stanage will be joining us from the Hill as a friend of Bill for this uh, entire hour uh, as we tell you, yes, about this trade war that officially starts today with the United States slapping $54 billion worth of tariffs on China. China is definitely, uh, has already announced, uh, they are retaliating. So the, the president says, well, then we'll strike back again 
with another additional $200 billion worth of tariffs. It is going to escalate that way, not only with China, but of course with Canada, with Mexico, with our European allies. And we'll see, we know where that is going to lead. There is no way we can win a trade war like that. At the same time, uh, Scott, other big news in Washington? Yep, Scott Pruitt. We were amazed he lasted as long as he did. But he is finally out. It finally got too much, even for Donald Trump. Uh, Scott Pruitt submitting his resignation yesterday. All of that to bring you up to date for. And again, you, our most important guest of the show, send us your comments on Twitter on all the news of the day. uh, At BP Show. At BP Show. We'll jump right into it. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, sir. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, do you like yes. do you like bananas? I do like bananas, well, actually. You better get your fill here pretty soon because bananas are facing a potential, I'm not kidding, a potential extinction. Oh, get out. No, I'm dead serious. Oh, no, there God. is something, I'll, I'll explain. There's something known piles as. piles of bananas in every store I go into. Well, let me, let me explain. There's, there's a disease known as Panama disease. It's a fungal infection that has already spread through Asia, Africa, the Middle East, Australia, and Central America, and it moves rapidly, specifically among Bananas, because mm. bananas are clones, and so they spread super fast. Uh, they, they pass things on uh, super quickly. And so this Panama disease has wiped out banana crops around the world. Really? And they say if this infection actually reaches South America, it could be a very, very serious problem. They say literally it could face extinction. So get your fill of bananas today, buddy. So that old song? Yes, yes we, have no, we bananas. have no bananas. It might actually come we true. We have no bananas today. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So Save that song for keep, a long time. Keep that, yeah, now it might actually be true. Now we might actually, yes, we may actually have no bananas. Uh, so get your fill of bananas now before Panama disease wipes them all out. Hey, it's 4th of July week. You know, we had 4th of July earlier this week. Uh, lots of people set off fireworks. Uh, other people just had, you know, sparklers. Some people, well, they fire guns. That's what happened in Tampa, Florida. A man was visiting Bush Gardens in Tampa, Florida. He yeah. was walking out of the park, and all of a sudden he felt a pain in his shoulder because someone had fired a celebratory gunshot into the air. You know the old saying, oh, yeah, what goes yeah. up must come down. Somewhere. Well, right. the bullet yeah. came down. Somewhere mm. was mm. this guy's left shoulder. He noticed the pain, and his wife noticed that he was bleeding. They went immediately to a first aid center and found out, yes, he had been shot. There was a bullet wound in his shoulder. So think about that. I haven't heard about that for a long time. I, I mean, know. It used to be there are parts of the world particularly where I, I forget where some people was notorious for people firing into the air. Yeah. Right? Don't, just I didn't don't. think it was Tampa, Florida, but... Well, look, like we said, what goes up must come down. So if you're going to shoot your gun into the air, you got to know that bullet's going to land somewhere. Fireworks are dangerous enough. Yeah. Guns? This is the Bill Press Show. He's gone. Yes, Scott Pruitt. We finally got rid of him. What do you say? 
It got to be too much even for Donald Trump, who has enough ethical conflicts of his own. But uh, Scott Pruitt uh, beat him out. Maybe he was jealous that Scott had more ethical conflicts than he did. At any rate, uh, Pruitt announcing his, uh, submitting his resignation letter yesterday to the president. Uh, of course, the environmental damage that he did will last for a long time. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is Friday, July 6th. This is the Bill Press Show. We are coming to you live coast to coast on the radio and on television. Uh, on the radio, out in the great WCPT in Chicago, all over the greater Chicago area, on television, on Free Speech TV, and, of course, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We are located on Capitol Hill. Uh, the newspaper, the record of The Hill and the White House is The Hill, thehill.com. Niall Stanich is the White House col- White House columnist for The Hill, joining us in studio as a friend of Bill. Niall, it's so good to see you. And good to see you, too. Now, wait a minute. This is supposed, this is the middle of the summer, right? This is 4th of July week. Congress is out of town. What the hell is going on with so much news breaking this week? I think it's part and parcel of this administration, isn't it? There's never really a quiet moment or, there, you know, it, it's soon, oh, no. there's soon another right. avalanche of news. And that's what we're experiencing every, this week. Like every single day, right? Absolutely. Never stops. Right. Like. Uh, the Pruitt, um, Pruitt stepping down, he had his last... Free meal at the White House Wednesday night <laughs> at the fireworks. <laughs> uh, there he was on the on on the South Lawn. But we kind of saw this coming, but we didn't see it coming, too, right? I mean, yeah, I think that's right. I think it was mystifying to many people, irrespective of their ideology, that Scott Pruitt was hanging on for so long. The list of ethical issues around this guy, you know, if we went through it now, we'd be talking for five minutes just going through yeah, each yeah. episode. The cascade of – he is involved, just to sum it up, there are over 12 – Investigate twelve or thirteen mm. investigations going on right now about ethical conflicts. Right for this one guy, a one, one, guy. A one yeah. man swamp, so to speak. Right. <laughs> um, so there is that kind of issue with with Pruitt. Having said all of that, he had been uh, protected, it seems to me at least, by uh, President Trump. Scott Pruitt did not, to the best of my knowledge, have really any allies within the administration except for a while the one ally that mattered, which was President Trump. And that had been a consequence primarily, I think, of Pruitt's uh, loyalty to the point of uh, sycophancy sometimes toward Mm -hmm. Trump. Eventually, it seems like that patience wore out. There were just too many of these things. I, I'm hearing different reports about exactly what the final straw was, depending on whom I speak with. But I think the accumulation of these scandals, less drip, 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 and more a deluge, really, uh, eventually put pay to. I find it interesting that a president who apparently, well, a president who constantly is attacking the media, even last night in Montana, we'll play some clips of that in a little bit, um, and and an accusatory of the media apparently was, however, influenced by all the negative stories about Scott Pruitt. Yeah, so, I mean, Donald Trump is, no matter what he says, sensitive to bad press. He is, and I think that that often gets overlooked. He is actually somebody who cares a lot about the media, and this dates back way before he was a politician. Oh, yeah. He cared yeah. a lot about what the New York Times yeah. said about him when he was a real estate developer and all of that. But he does actually acknowledge, I think, 
the way things play in the media. As you and I and your listeners know, he very rarely makes a U-turn on anything. He did uh, in the child separations issue, and I'm not entirely persuaded that that was out of some humanitarian uh, concern. I think it was an actual acknowledgement that that story was playing, for want of a better term, very badly. Looked bad. It looked bad, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are other things where he has said... Uh, and I think maybe it was on the child separation story that he didn't like the optics or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it, look, it didn't look right. It looked, looked like it was a bad story for him. And he does no. understand the power of the image more than he understands, I think, some other things, some other nuances of policy. And that can have uh, an impact. The other thing that, I, that strikes me about the Pruitt thing is he is hardly the first top White House official or cabinet secretary to leave this administration in the short span of 18 months. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we made a little list this morning of 16 top, top, top-ranked people, mm-hmm. uh, including Rex Tillerson, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, David Shulkin, Tom Price, mm-hmm. Reince Priebus, I mean... Mike, Sean, Mike, Mike Flynn, last we Michael forget. Flynn, yeah. first one, right? Yeah, yeah out. Uh, and um, so I don't know what that says. It's a tough place to work. Or? It is. You know, the one thing I would say in fairness is the White House is always a tough place to work. But the, the turnover yeah, in but this the turnover administration is been, a different order of things. Really. It really is. Yeah. Um, and some of those people have left because of uh, infighting. Someone like Spicer, who you mentioned. Um, some of that, uh, some of them have suffered self-inflicted injuries, like the Mooch, who didn't do a great job yeah, with that right. interview. Yeah. But there have been people, uh, Scott Pruitt and Michael Flynn to name two, who have left because of uh, really quite serious ethical uh, concerns. I mean, in, in Flynn's case, the suggestion that he misled the vice president, but also that he misled right. him about a pretty serious matter, you know, what yeah. he had spoken about with Russia. And in Pruitt's case, this laundry list of uh, embarrassing ethical concerns ranging from, you know, putting an expensive soundproof booth in his office to apparently trying to get his wife jobs everywhere from uh, Chick-fil-A to, I think, the Republican Governors Association, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, where, uh, where, yeah, and she finally land, landed a job somewhere. So so uh, Pruitt is gone. And the other, another issue that the president's been spending a lot of time on this week is, uh, I, I don't know, did, did he interview you about the a vacancy on the Supreme Court? <laughs> Are you on the short list? Uh, no, I, I, I think my views might, I think there might be a litmus <laughs> test where I'm concerned. Uh, but there's a, uh, uh, he's been working from a list of 25, mm-hmm. uh, the same list that was given him with a few additions uh, when he was candidate, Donald Trump. And it appears that he's narrowed it down to two or three, mm-hmm. maybe, uh, and expected to make the big announcement on Monday mm-hmm. uh, at nine o'clock Monday evening, right? Yes. Yes. This is P.T. Barnum at his best. Well, this goes back in a way to what we were just talking about, the concern with media coverage and media image and all of that. I think in a situation like this where there's a big announcement to be made, President Trump thrives on 
the kind of suspense that can be created, the reality show elements of it. Uh, when Neil Gorsuch yeah. was nominated, you may remember there was another candidate who was sort of brought to Washington and we yes. were getting reports, yes. uh, the man's name escapes me, maybe Thomas too. Hardiman, but anyway, uh, was sort of photographed at some gas station en route to Washington. And it's <laughs> all that, uh, as I say, reality show element. We know there are some front runners for this, for sure. Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett are two of the names most frequently mentioned. And it's Ketledge, I think. And that's right. Yeah. Um, uh, Raymond Ketledge, I think it is. But yes, it's uh, it's clearly going to be a huge story. Obviously, that list that you mentioned was drawn up very much um, in conjunction with the Federalist Society, which is a very conservative organization. So, I mean, all of these judges are very conservative judicial figures. So that's how it's going to be. One thing you must admit, no matter uh, what you consider about his capabilities as a president, um, he's got the power to appoint people to the Supreme Court. And if he is successful on getting a second person on the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. uh, that's a legacy that will continue for decades. Absolutely. And this is why elections matter, of course, that their impact can be felt for many decades to come. Uh, if he were to appoint Amy Coney Barrett, I think she's in her mid-40s, so she could very conceivably be on the court for 40 years. Uh, Mr. Kavanaugh's not much older than that, so yeah. this impact will be felt for a very, very long time. And of course, because whoever is uh, nominated and confirmed will ultimately replace Anthony Kennedy, who is seen as the swing vote, it does change the ideological complexion of the court. Well, Now, in 2016... Uh, Senate Republicans adopted a rule that uh, Supreme Court nominations are so vital and so important that they should never be decided in an election year until we know where the American people are in terms of whom they want to be their leaders in Washington. Uh, and so, therefore, we could not have a hearing or a vote on uh, on Merrick Garland in 2016. Does that same rule apply in 2018? Oddly enough, you will be surprised <laughs> that it doesn't seem to apply uh, at this point. There is no suggestion from the Republican side no. of the aisle that such a rule should apply. And indeed, Mitch you know. McConnell, who spearheaded that strategy, has been uh, enthusiastic about getting whoever President Trump nominates no. confirmed as quickly as possible. By you the don't fall. want me to believe that there's any hypocrisy among the Senate Republicans now on this issue. <laughs> Who would think Shocking. such a thing? Who Shocking. would think such a thing? Uh, in terms of uh, the media extravaganza mm. um, that uh, certainly showman Donald Trump is planning for Monday evening, and now he has a new sidekick, a new ally uh, in terms of the media strategy of the White House in Mr. Bill Shine. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the, uh, it's now official. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that tell us? It tells us that the former fa- head of Fox News. Of right. Course. Yes. It tells us that the uh, close relationship between this administration and, and Fox News is uh, advancing even further. I mean, there are a number of people who seem to have been... Oh, doesn't it tell us that they've totally melded now? I mean, they're one and the same? (laughs) Well, I mean, Bill Shine is somebody who was very much associated with the Roger Ailes era in Fox News. That was, I think, Fox News at its most aggressive. Bill Shine's also, of course, a former producer for and close friend of Sean Hannity, who has been probably the most vocally 
uh, what would we even say with Sean Hannity? Just uh, give, providing the administration with its preferred line on almost any Propaganda issue at high I volume. Would, I would say yeah. you don't have to say that, but yeah, absolutely. Mm. And and um, but it's like uh, you know, as I said earlier, I think uh, it's like Fox News and Donald Trump. They've been they've been shacked up together for a while. Now they finally are openly you know. Getting married, Fox News has moved into the Trump White House. It's there's yeah. very little daylight between them. No, that, that's true. And there's also people who are in there. Someone like John Bolton, for example, was originally obviously in government service with the Bush administration, but seems to really have come to Donald Trump's attention via being a Fox News commentator, Absolutely. so far as I can uh, tell. You know, right. or Jeanine Pirro is r- rumored to be going to join the administration. Right. Joe De Genova, the president said he was going to hire him once because he liked seeing. On, on Fox News. On Fox News. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Lou Dobbs apparently is somebody who speaks privately with President Trump quite often and has, even by Fox standards, a pretty hard line view of all sorts of things, notably immigration. So right. there's a very clear alliance there, I think. All right. So uh, if you count Jason Miller, which I do because mm-hmm. he was given the job, even though he was, he, he himself quit when the, the, the little scandal occurred before the president was even sworn in. If you count Jason Miller, Bill Shine will be the sixth communications director in 18 months. It's amazing. White House. It's amazing. Yeah, it the is. average lifespan was that workout as three months per three person. Months. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, if, if this why would you even? So my question is, why would you even take the job? Well, that's that's a whole other question that really afflicts this administration. They have real difficulty, I think, recruiting and hiring people now. Because people see that it is damaging to their reputation, even in uh, more moderate Republican circles. And you look at someone like uh, Sean Spicer, it is no secret that Sean Spicer was uh, kind of shopping himself around to TV networks and other places looking for work. And that effort appears to have been unsuccessful. He's now... uh, shortly going to be promoting his book and is working for one of the Trump-related PACs or super PACs. But that's just one example. I have no particular personal beef with with Sean Spicer. But it's evidence, I think, of how you can get very prominent in this administration, but it does taint Mm -hmm. your reputation oftentimes. Right. Yeah. I mean, we we were talking earlier, um, Peter, about... um, People who have like uh, came into the administration with pretty good reputations mm-hmm. in their field, mm-hmm. right, and left just mm-hmm. humiliated almost. Rex Tillerson, I think, is the number one example. Yeah, Tillerson's a very good example of that because he was in the very well respected in the corporate, in the corporate world. He was considered mm-hmm. one of the world leaders in corporate. Yeah. Uh, America, if you will. I and, mean, and, and even and, look at like Jeff Sessions, right? I mean, he's a U.S. senator. He's very yeah. well liked among the people in his party, and he's just getting called out and dragged mm. by Donald Trump on a weekly basis. I think the only one that has any it has maintained his credibility to this point is James Mattis, mm-hmm. Defense Secretary, mm-hmm. and maybe it's because he's across the river. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It's important to get a stretch of water yeah, yeah, yeah. between you and other people. <laughs> yeah. Often, right? yeah. Well, it's military strategy. Yeah, he's also the defense secretary. He's got right. the he's got the brass behind him, right? And we know that Donald Trump really does respect people in uniform, and so maybe he could just kind of 
is willing to give him a little running room, you know. But, that, that's right. Uh, though the same or similar things were said about John Kelly when he first came in as chief of oh, staff. that's true. And his power appears to have ebbed quite significantly, and he has certainly faced his own embarrassment. There was a time uh, when we in the media talked about that, uh, well, Donald Trump may be off the rails occasionally, if not all the time, uh, but there were these adults around him whom we could count on to keep him in line. Uh, H.R. McMaster, Rex Tillerson, John Kelly, mm-hmm. <laughs> and James Mattis. There's right. one left. Right. Well, right. It, 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 Kelly's one, there. But, one and a half left. Yeah, one and a half. But he, Kelly's left, but he just sort of, he, he almost admits mm, he's no. given up. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think his time is... Yeah, Coming, yeah. drawing to an end, most people right. think, and that's that's certainly the word mm-hmm. here in Washington. I, I, it is an interesting point how Donald Trump even at this comparatively early stage of his first term, has become much more uh, willing to act on his own instincts and to push out people who might restrain those instincts in favour of people who will essentially pursue and enact his policy, whatever he determines it to be. That day. Right. So um, the president today, uh, well, first of all, today, uh, officially, the $54 billion in tariffs that the president had announced against China kick in. Mm-hmm. Uh, tariffs on such things as medical devices, uh, auto parts, and some others. And China immediately retaliated by saying, okay, we're coming, we told you we we're going to do this, so we are slapping tariffs on uh, 500 different uh, products, uh, meat, including meat and seafood. Um, now the president says, well, then we'll respond with another $200 billion mm-hmm. of tariffs. So we're in a trade war as of today. I we, mean, officially, we're in a trade war. Can we win a trade war? Well, that's a more complicated question than it sounds. If theoretically, China has slightly more to lose than we do. But the perception amongst most economists is that everyone loses a trade war, right? Donald Trump, I think, has a view of the world, which is winners and losers, and that it's a always a binary choice. Somebody wins, somebody yeah, loses. Yeah, that, I think, right. goes to why he's so distrustful of multilateral agreements generally. Most economists would argue that that is not the case on trade, that in fact, a trade war does harm both parties and the wider world, because it in, it inhibits trade to such an extent, it adds, it increases costs to everyone, and that people lose them uh, all around. Now, there is no evidence at all that uh, President Trump is backing away from this. In fact, he was speaking, as I'm sure you saw, Bill, with reporters, uh, I think it was on yeah. Air Force Air One Force yesterday, One. Yeah. and really ratcheting up the rhetoric rather than even being uh, neutral about it, suggesting but, that there was a second round and potentially a third round of tariffs still to come. Right. But so you think about, so China's got, so, so on meat, that's American farmers, right? Mm-hmm. On um, seafood, that's American mm-hmm. fishermen, right? On soybeans and wheat, mm-hmm. there's, again, American farmers. Um, these, uh, and uh, SUVs, these are cars made in the United States, there's American workers. These are, these are, these are Trump. This is Trump country. This is going to hurt Trump country, I guess, is what I'm getting to. Yes, yeah. I think that's and completely plausible. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's got mm-hmm. to, at some point, create a backlash or backfire against Donald Trump among his base. 
One would think, I mean, that's clearly the danger here, is that Donald Trump was elected with particularly fervent support in... Uh, Calling himself a free trader, right. by the way, too. Yeah, yeah. Even though he always talked about tariffs even as a candidate, but right. he claims he's a free trader. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it is very curious. He won in some of the states that these industries are uh, most strong in. If it damages those industries, one would think that he will suffer political damage. There is among his base clearly a willingness to support him under almost any circumstances, or to disdain uh, media reports that are critical of him. But if as seems quite likely. This hurts people in a very direct way and a very clear way, hits them in their pocketbook, as people uh, are mm-hmm. prone to saying, then you would think there would be a political price to be paid for that. Right. Um, the president went out to uh, Montana. He loves the campaign. Right. Went out to uh, Montana last night uh, in support of whoever is um, running against uh, uh, our good friend John Tester from uh, Montana. Uh, I thought a very bizarre uh, appearance. I mean, he was all over the place um, uh, with remarks, that, uh, speaking on everything from, uh, first of all, let's start. This is the, this is a, again, a political rally in support of a Senate candidate. So the president just gets up and talks about whatever pops into his mind, right? This is when you see the classic Donald Trump. Like, for example, the NFS is stupid thing. You don't have to do this anymore. If you don't respect the flag or if you don't like the country or whatever it is, just go into the locker room. Just go into the locker I think in many respects, that's worse. The best part about that, by the way, is this is widely considered to be the Trump rule. They tried to do the NFL tried to pass this this rule, which I agree with him. It's stupid for a different reason. It is. I, but it's I, a Trump exactly. rule. It's a it's Trump, the Trump rule, rule to try and make him happy. Yes, right. Because he's the one who raised the issue and made a big deal of what was really not a big deal. And he's still mad. Yeah, right. They went out of their way to make our our president happy, and he's mm-hmm. still mad. Right. Uh so. A quick comment. I, got, I just I, want to play a couple other clips I, here, but I, I, I think that he actually sees some political advantage in staying mad about these things. I think he likes fanning certain grievances, oh. and the NFL issue is part of that. Yeah, he also likes uh, insulting people, um, uh, particularly Democrats, particularly Democratic members of Congress, particularly Black Democratic members of Congress, uh, on Maxine Waters' his favorite target. I said it the other day, yes, she is a low IQ individual, Maxine Waters. I said it the other day. I, I mean, honestly, she's somewhere in the mid-60s, I believe that. He can't help himself. He can't, and it's sort of terrible. Well, it's not sort of terrible. It's, pre- it's pretty bad. I mean, for a president of the United States to talk about a member of Congress in that fashion, particularly uh, raising an issue of... IQ against a prominent black member of Congress, given their toxic history of those kind of slurs. That's that's bad stuff. Um, And and then, of course, the Russian investigation uh, continues. Uh, But as, as far as Donald Trump is concerned, it's still just a Democratic invention. This was an excuse 
for the Democrats who lost an election, who actually got their ass kicked. 306. Got to talk about that Electoral College every time, right? It's extraordinary. He is just always fighting the 2016 election, it seems, and always citing the result of that as evidence of things that there is no logical connection with. His argument, I think, is, I won the election, Democrats can't stand that, therefore they have confected this Russian investigation. Well, why have all these indictments been handed down? Why have several people pleaded guilty, etc.? Plus, plus, it is a known fact that the Russian investigation started in, like, maybe August or September of 2016, right. during the campaign, long before we knew who was going to win that election. Right, his timeline makes no sense. When George Papadopoulos was discovered having meetings in London mm-hmm. uh, with Russian with Russian operatives. Well, but on the patriotic side, you know, there's nothing more important than exercising our right to vote. Uh, Donald Trump has an unusual way of encouraging people to vote. This November, I need you to get your friends, get your colleagues, get your neighbors, and get your ass out to vote. Is that okay? <laughs> get your ass out to vote. There you are. Yeah, you know. Hail to the chief, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes. George Washington, Franklin Roosevelt, Abraham Lincoln. Get your ass out to vote. <laughs> Nothing to fear but fear itself and leaving your ass on the couch whenever we thought it going on. It is amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's just just here. All right, now I save the best to last. Okay. Now, you mentioned he's uh, he, he, he is obsessed with the size of the Electoral College. He's also obsessed with the size of the crowd wherever he goes, which I really think is a euphemism for penis size he's obsessed with. But at any rate, here's how he expresses it. Here he's talking about how proud he is of the big crowd they've got last night. See if you can follow this. I have broken more Elton John records. He seems to have a lot of records. And we beat, and I, by the way, I don't have a musical instrument. I don't have a guitar or an organ. No organ. Elton has an organ. And lots of other people helping. No, we've broken a lot of records. We've broken virtually every record because, you know, look, I only need this space. They need much more room. For basketball, for hockey, for all the sports, they need a lot of room. We don't need it. We have people in that space. So we break all these records. But really, we do it without, like, the musical instruments. This is the only musical, the mouth. And hopefully the brain attached to the mouth, right? The brain, more important than the mouth, is the brain. The brain is much more important. <laughs> there you go. Good God. Isn't it embarrassing? I it, mean, at, at the, that's the least you can say about it. It's just unbelievable. It is extraordinary to have someone talk in such a way as President of the United States. There is, as you well know, Bill, a theory that people elect a president who is exactly the opposite of the one who came before, and President Obama well, was that, uh, that perhaps theory, the most uh, sort of erudite in recent memory, and now... That theory's certainly been proven true. Yeah. yeah. 
You know, okay. if the if the next president comes along and their campaign slogan is, "Look, I just I don't want to occupy your headspace at all hours of the day. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here quietly for four years. Yeah, and see how it and goes. just like I, just do a little work. I don't care. You got my vote. If I were the Democrat <laughs> running for president, I would have one one platform. Yeah, I will not tweet. No, I'm not going to tweet. <laughs> Period. Yeah, that's it. That's my platform. Uh, you got my vote. Uh, uh, yeah, you got, got my, my vote. vote. Right. But I'm going to come back to where we started. Okay. Mm. You're the new communications director. Mm. You're Bill Shine. You're mm-hmm. standing there and you hear that. Mm. I'll tell you what I would do. I'd submit my resignation. <laughs> yes, but then you you wouldn't run Fox News in the first place, right? I mean, That's the, true. The, the people who who take those jobs view things through a very different prism. And can I just say one point which is almost semi in Trump's defense? There's no point trying to mute Donald Trump. Donald Trump has to be Donald Trump. And people like us find it embarrassing. There are obviously a lot of people in the country who love it because they think he talks like they do or he speaks their language. And I think when people like Paul Manafort pre-scandal was perceived to try to curb Donald Trump during the campaign. And that doesn't really work at all because half-hearted Trump is no good. Right. Uh, I would hope Yeah, you're right. You're right about that that percentage. Listen mm. to that crowd, right? I would hope the number of those people is shrinking. I'm not sure that it is, but I would hope that it's shrinking. I think it is shrinking. Uh, but I find it embarrassing there are that many people mm. who would cheer and, and see that as what they want in a president. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a talk show host or a clown show mm. or a stand-up comic, mm-hmm. fine, right? Mm. President of the United States? Yeah. I mean, Republican or Democrat, I don't care. I always look for someone of a little more stature, mm-hmm. a little more dignity. George W. Bush mm-hmm. brought a lot of dignity, mm-hmm. despite his policies, mm-hmm. t- to the office. So did his father. So did Ronald Reagan, mm-hmm. right? Not Donald Trump. Uh, at any rate, Niles here for the entire hour as a friend of Bill. Glad to have him here. Uh, Anisha Singh joins us coming up next from... Center for American Progress will take a uh, quick break. We'll come back, talk more about the Supreme Court appointment coming up and what it all means here on the Bill Press Show. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. And on this Friday, July 6th, welcome back, everybody, to the uh, Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. Coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio on Capitol Hill, brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, uh, the Honorable uh, Leo Gerard, uh, the United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, right in the middle of all of this uh, trade war uh, with uh, China and, uh, and Canada particularly. Uh, check out their website at usw.org. Org. Uh, Niall Standish here from The Hill, a White House columnist for The Hill. Uh, as a friend of Bill the entire hour. It's thehill.com. And joining us, uh, Anisha Singh from the Center for American Progress, AmericanProgress.org. Hi, Anisha. Nice to see you. Hi. Thank you. for having me. Before we get uh, resume our discussion of today's news, we have a little breaking news. Yes, sir. Yes, indeed. We have the uh, economic numbers. It's the first Friday of the month. So the Labor Department reports that there were 213 jobs added in the month 213,000, maybe? 213,000 jobs. <laughs> excuse me. Excuse me. Yes. 213,000 jobs. It's down from 244,000 in May. What does that mean for the unemployment rate? Well, it ticked up 
it ticked up to 4%. In May, it was 3.8%. So it went up to 0.2 points. Uh, so we're now at 4% unemployment. Uh, which is damn good still. 4% it's still pretty good. But Bloomberg, and, by the way, had predicted 190,000 jobs, so it exceeded that. But they also predicted that the unemployment rate would stay at 3.8%. It did not. Um, economists generally consider 5.5% yeah. as full employment, and 213,000 jobs um, is still damn good. I mean, it is um, I, this, my own reflection here. Uh, I forget how many months now, like 35 months or something, of over 100,000 job, uh, po- positive job creation, which means that the uh, Obama economy is still <laughs> rolling on. Yeah. But that's a good number. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's been an extraordinary stretch. Yeah, it really when you has. think about the immediate wake of the Great Recession and the horrific unemployment at that point, I think it peaked at 10%, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So to get down to that kind of level Peter, is very good. Yeah, while we're talking, Peter, see if you can find out how many how many months now we've had of positive job growth. Um, because you're, you're right, it started in January 2009. We were hemorrhaging about 800,000, losing 800,000 jobs a month. To go from that to positive job growth and then to sustain it as long as we have is mm-hmm. extraordinary. Any show. 92 yeah. straight months. 92. 92 straight months. Yeah. 92 straight months. Well, what's so interesting is, you know, Donald Trump's going to see this news and say, this is because of me. This is because oh, of the work that I'm course. doing. Of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah of course. That. 92. Okay. Let's give him 18. <laughs> it's continued for 18, but. Continued. Yes. Subtract 18 from 92. Those are the Obama months, right? Mm-hmm. They started that. So it continues. Now, um, now and I were talking a little bit earlier, uh, Anisha, about the big uh, announcement's going to come on Monday. Right. But, uh, so, of course, this is his announcement of whom he would like to see to take the place of Anthony Kennedy uh, on the Supreme Court. Uh, this, this vacancy on the Supreme Court means more than others might mean, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this, this is a significant nomination. Why? Do you agree and, do, and why? I do uh, to some extent. I think that this last term showed us that it's already in a dangerous place, right? We saw some 5-4 decisions come down that were so instrumental for our society within, you know, between the Janus case and the uh, Muslim ban, um, the crisis centers case, really just across the board, there were these 5-4 decisions that Gorsuch, um, Justice Gorsuch, was able to tilt um, on the conservative side. Um, and that could have been different if we had a different justice in his in his place. Um, and so now the, the question is, how much more right is this court going to go? Because Kennedy was considered um, a swing vote in some cases, such as marriage equality. Um, and now we're going to we're expecting someone very extreme. Though some of the names that have come up, the 25 list, you know, 25 nominee list that Trump has been using, um, they've all gone through his litmus test, right? They're all going to overturn Roe. They're all going to be loyal to this president and his agenda. Um, and they're all very, very bad for the progress that we've already made in this country. So um, just thinking through that, you know, how that will shift the court, how many more um, times does RBG have to dissent and how, how effective can that really be if the court is so conservative? Well, actually, it, it, when you think of, first of all, Anthony Kennedy, he, he, there were some decisions, right, that he'll be remembered for, like mm-hmm. the same-sex marriage case, right, right. Uh, which he wrote, I believe, didn't he? Uh, he wrote the majority, mm-hmm. part, yeah, the majority opinion so, yeah. on that. So he's been very strong on LGBTQ rights. Um, at the same time, 
um, and and uh, uh, he's been a very conservative voice on some cases mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Like he wrote the majority opinion in Citizens United. Yep. Uh, on voting rights, he voted to get the Voting Rights Act. So he's he is a real conservative. Yeah. But once in a while, he would swing. So with his with his departure, and if Donald Trump's successful in getting someone like another Neil Gorsuch on the case, the swing vote will be John Roberts. That's not. <laughs> someone said that's like between drowning and being lit on fire, right? Like you're just choosing what's. <laughs> The worst of the worst. But not much of a swing, really. I mean, there have been very (laughs) rare occasions, the most famous, of course, being the Affordable Care Act, where Roberts essentially upheld the Affordable Care Act, seemingly with the idea that the court should not, um, well, to, to try to sort of maintain some kind of impartial, nominal impartial authority on the court's case. But he's a very adamant conservative. Everything we know about John Roberts is that he's much more emphatically and consistently conservative even than Anthony Kennedy. Is. Yeah, but that, if that happens, that really shows how far right the court has swung if a guy like John Roberts becomes, yeah, in, a, in effect. The yeah, and, and the top three nominees we're seeing right now, yes. they have all come out in some way, shape, or form and wanted to gut the ACA. So we know that whoever this person is, is they're going to vote very right and right of Roberts. Um, on that. But then there's other things, right? We have uh, Amy Barrett, who is someone who has said that uh, the Roe decision gives people abortion on demand, and she completely disagrees with that precedent. She says people, the judges shouldn't have to follow precedent. She says women, um, access to contraception needs to be narrowed. Um, she's even said that their uh, employers should be allowed to segregate em- uh, employees based on race and ethnicity. Um, then you have uh, Kavanaugh, who's saying that the president has absolute discretion to fire and hire a, a special counsel as he wills, and a president should not be held accountable for and indicted um, for such acts. And so we know that that's an issue that might end up coming up in the court. Uh, we are mm-hmm. seeing with this Russia investigation, there's there's an issue of can the president pardon himself? There's a lot of other issues that might end up in the same court. And we know when Trump's meeting with these individuals, he's asking for loyalty. And, and this is the kind of guy... Who would say, yeah, I agree with you, and and that would be very dangerous for our court. Right. Um, And uh, so Roe v. Wade, clearly maybe the most imperiled by this uh, nominee? Everything this president has said he will do on the campaign trail, he is doing. And that was one of the things he said. He said, I will choose justices who will overturn Roe. Um, and that worked for his base. And now we know that when he's meeting with these individuals, that is going to be a, a question that he's asked. We've had we've seen Senator Collins and Murkowski come out and say, you know, we're pro-choice and we want to make sure that whoever you're picking um, is not going to overturn Roe. But there, what is the actual trust there? Right. You know, he's saying, no, 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 don't worry about it. I'm not even going to ask them about that. We know he lies. Um, you know he's going to ask it. And we already know these individuals' records on women's rights are, are horrible. Do you, uh, the president says he's not asking that question now. He <laughs> says he's not asking that question because by implication he knows the answer to it, I think. I mean, the yeah. justices who have been, uh, the judges who have been put on to this 25-member list drawn up um, with the Federalist Society are all, as we've just said, very conservative and conservative on this issue in particular. So it would be like me saying, uh, I'm not I'm not going to ask Bill Press who he's voting for in an election between Donald Trump and 
Elizabeth Warren. I don't mm-hmm. need to ask you that because <laughs> I would know the answer to that. So the, the whether you ask the question or not is not really the relevant point, it seems to me. Uh, and as several people have pointed out, too, this list is significant because this is a list that was drawn up by the Federal Society and handed to candidate Trump, and he said, this is a list I will choose from. And he also said several times uh, that reversal of Roe v. Wade, in fact, he said in one of the presidential debates, it will automatically happen if I'm president because whomever I appoint will vote to overturn uh, Roe v. Wade. And after the Access Hollywood tape came out and there was the risk that the Christian evangelicals might desert Donald Trump, they didn't because of that list. Mm -hmm. They said, well, he may be a scum scoundrel, right, or whatever, but... He's going, to, he's going to appoint a Supreme Court justice from that list, which means that's one more vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. That was more exactly important it. to them than his sexual uh, scandals. And that's right? what makes me crazy is that the conservatives are so good at being court <coughs> voters, right, Supreme Court voters. And so they will turn a blind eye to anything that Trump is doing and say, I will still vote for him because this is for lifetime appointments. This person will be able to shift our courts in a more conservative fashion, and it will last beyond Trump's uh, term. Um, progressives are not as good at that as that. You know, we didn't see that kind of rhetoric. We didn't see that when Hillary Clinton was up on stage. Whenever that the Supreme Court topic came up, we saw the polling go down and the interest of progressives go down in watching those debates. And that needs to change because if anything, if we've learned anything from the last two years is the courts have been saving us as much as they can and blocking some of these terrible executive orders as much as they can. Um, and we need to be paying attention to them before they take away, you know, so many of the things that are so valuable to our society. So, so in your view, I mean, what should progressives and people who share your point of view, what should they be doing about it now, given the, the math in the Senate is obviously challenging? So is it an issue where you think people ought to be calling, for example, those couple of moderate perceived moderate Republican senators, or what's the what's the game plan from Yeah, I think the, sh- the short term is that, right, calling the Collins and Murkowskis and those who might waver um, and, and reminding them that you're their voter and that this the, whoever this nominee is is not going to, to maintain Roe. Um, but then also calling some of the Democrats, too, because there are some that I'm a little worried about who are also oh, stepping back. There are five of them that I'm worried <laughs> about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm from Maryland, and Ben Cardin is my uh, senator, and he's like, I'm not going to make a decision until I know who it is. And I know why he's saying that, because one of the top three are from Maryland, and it is custom for the senators of that state to walk out that nominee from their state um, to the judiciary floor. And, you know, uh, Bennett, Bennett did it last year with uh, Gorsuch. Um, and it was it was outrageous. It's like, how are you normalizing this? And so I'm talking to you, Senator Cardin. <laughs> do not do it. And we need to hold a floor. And, and, you know, there are some like Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, who are willing to hold the floor. We just need to make sure our entire party is doing the same thing. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the moderate uh, Republicans are, are also paying attention. And then long term, look at November. We can flip the Senate if we all come out and vote. We have seen some upsets um, already take place in the primaries and other places. And so we can make this happen. We just have to become Supreme Court voters. We have to remember that while, you know, with the with the Congress and, and the president, it's two year, six year, four year terms. This is lifetime 40 plus years. This president has made it clear he's only choosing judges who are young because he wants his legacy to last 40, 50 years. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I find the whole attention to Susan Collins absurd for a couple of reasons. One is because I don't trust her. I mean, she Mm -hmm. says, I'm not going to vote for anybody 
uh, that would overturn precedent. She voted for Gorsuch. Exactly. She voted for Alito. Exactly. Uh, I'm afraid that you, she will, she's there until you need her, and then she's not there, number one. Number two, uh, forget Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins. To me, Democrats have to start with Joe Donnelly, Claire McCaskill, Joe Manchin, uh, J- John Hi- Tester, and Heidi Heitkamp. Mm-hmm. You, if you line up all of them and keep all the Democrats with 49 Democrats, then you got a shot. But I think the idea that you're going to have all Democrats is not automatic. That's that's Chuck Schumer's job, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, I guess it is. I mean, the the obviously the political <laughs> dynamics are complicated here because several of the people you just mentioned are up for re-election. They they're all up, are. They all are, and then they're in all red up, states, right? In in states that, as Donald Trump will Trump remind carried. you, at any at any moment he carried by <clears throat> a very significant margin. Right. So on one hand, those people want to protect their own seats. On the other hand. There is obviously a fear that if you become too closely aligned with President Trump, that why would Democratic voters in those states therefore vote for you? Uh, They're trying to walk a bit of a tightrope on this, and we'll see how that pans out. Uh, Yeah. Um, I think they're—I believe the calculation that their re-election could hinge on how they vote on the Supreme Court nominee is Mm -hmm. absurd, but but that, that does have some weight. Yeah, I worked I worked on the Supreme Court vacancy when it was the Garland and then switch over to Gorsuch. Um, and I remember so much of our energy and time was spent convincing Dems, right, uh, to hold the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That we would we didn't have any left any resources left to focus on any of these moderate Republicans. And so my worry is that that's happening here, and we really need to have everyone calling the Dems too and saying, listen, don't make you be the problem, right? Um, don't don't have us focusing on you. You need to hold the ground. There were uh, so in, in this last term, they. It's funny the way the Supreme Court operates. It always does. They save all the big bombshell decisions. big yeah. decisions until the last week, right. and then they drop one day at a time. Right? But there were a couple that that had huge significance. You mentioned Janice uh, earlier, uh, which again is a precedent. Forty four, forty four years or so that was overturned. Uh, what's the impact of it? I mean, it's workers' rights, right? There are the ability for workers to effectively unionize. It's the ability for unions to exist, right? Now we're at risk of having a lot of these unions have to um, discharge a lot of their employees. We saw a lot of that last year with AFL-CIO. They were already letting go several of their employees, and now we have, you know, AFSCME, SEIU. Everyone's wondering what is the state um, for these unions and how are they going to effectively take care of their workers um, if their resources keep getting you know, punched. Um, and, and it's not just Janice. It's like, you know, Ohio, the voter purger case, right? Now we have voter rolls being purged and people can't even, um, they don't even know if they're on the on the registration. And it's, it's just voting rights being, upheld being by the Upheld by the, the court's decision. Absolutely. Right. Yep. And then Muslim ban. And then the Muslim ban. I was <laughs> right. going to ask you about that one too, which was the other big, so this is, isn't this the th- Third, yes, iteration of that third, iteration yeah. of it, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the court said, national security. Yep, national security. And it was Sotomayor who, put, who wrote a wonderful dissent for that, and basically said it's a masquerade of a facade of national security, right? 
um, they fell for this national security um, reasoning just because two other uh, countries were added that were not Muslim majority. But the intent was ignored here. The intent that was shown throughout the campaign trail by President Trump by saying that Muslims need to be banned. Um, the intent of Muslim ban one and two that were Muslim majority countries. Um, the rhetoric that has come out of this president and his administration um, all ignored, all for the sake of, well, we'll give him the benefit of doubt for national security's sake. Meanwhile, you know, we have um, Iranian Americans here who are getting married and now their grandmother can't come to their own wedding, right? We have students wondering, should I even go to school in America? Because I don't even know if I'll be able to go home and come back. I don't know if my parents can come to my graduation. I don't know if I'll even be allowed to work here afterwards. There's there are, there are numbers showing that Stanford University usually has you know 10% uh, Iranian engineering students, and now that's down to almost zero because in terms of the upcoming year, because there there's so much un, unsure. You know. Um, Everyone's just so unsure of what's going to happen yeah. to them, and it's it's devastating. Just to take that off on a tangent, I was interested. I was reading a story uh, last night in the business pages, which I don't often peruse all that closely. <laughs> but Boeing has recently uh, has announced an intention to buy a Brazilian smaller uh, air, airline manufacturer, and the consensus is that it's not really because Boeing wants to make very small planes; it's because it wants to get access to the engineers and to the other t- people with technology know-how in that company because they're worried that they will have a shortage of those people in the United States. Now, it's not only because of immigration, it's also because those people are going to the tech industry for higher Mm -hmm. money and things like that. But it's just a reminder that the to your point about Stanford, it is to the benefit of the United States to have as many mm-hmm. highly skilled people here as possible, to have people with as much expertise as possible, and something like the the travel ban obviously uh, hinders that in education and other areas. So I think a lot of us are wondering these days, um, how's uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's health these <laughs> I actually this she, morning uh, she's still <laughs> flanking. I actually this morning read something that was like okay so I changed my donor status on my license and it now says that all of my organs go to RBG um, including when I'm alive if she knows them like and it's like that's the mood right now right it's like please hang in there uh, the last time I uh, I uh, had the honor of interviewing her, uh, I asked her that question, and she said uh, that uh, everything was fine and she was eating lots of kale. Yeah. Yes, that's what and, people are saying. Yeah. And she's got her workout regime. And she ha- and she yeah. was uh, she was she was working out. Yeah. And, uh, I, I've said this so many times. If you've not seen the documentary RBG, so good, you have to yeah. see it. Yeah, I have not seen it, so I better go now. Yeah. I better look it up on Netflix or whatever. But it, it was interesting there. You go back to dem- the difference between Democrats and Republicans being court voters. Um, the difference of a Democrat or conservative and liberal justices, if you will, because a lot of people said to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you got to retire now before Barack Obama's gone. So, you know, we're sure we got a good replacement for you. And she said, man, I'm strong. I'm going to hang in there. Right. Anthony Kennedy saw this was his last chance to make sure that Donald Trump and Senate Republicans could get a seat on the court, or most likely. And he chose to step down. Big difference. Uh, so, hate to hear that music. That means we're out of time. So, <laughs> thank you. And thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. Uh, AmericanProgress.org, TheHill.com for Niall Stanage. And now the weekend is yours. Enjoy it. This we'll see you on Monday. This is The Bill Press Show. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding your tail. 
Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.